welcome to the moving forward podcast that's you found us this is us this is the moving forward podcast we talk about yang and policy and cool people and my name's Corey, and uh my uh, co-host here is rio he's got an amazing cup that you'll only ever be able to see um if you become a patreon supporter you can go to patreon and search for moving forward and we will show up yes rio Oh, I was just laughing because you always make it sound like I basically just, this, this is just the one cup. Like it's such an expensive cup that I really could only have one. I only have the one. Hey, no, in my imagination, <laughs> that will always be true. I don't, and it I, just sits on a pedestal, yeah. like in a museum. Yes. A glass <laughs> case. Thinking. Yes. Yes. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's in a glass case that says the bougenator and that's, and that you pull it out every once in a while. Yeah. You there's only. Yeah, we definitely have to remember to actually offer that the fancy ass cup at um in I don't know whatever whatever our store is eventually. I, yes. I think that's a good idea. I like the idea of taking a cup that's like insanely expensive and then just marking it up again anyway. Yeah, hundred uh, <laughs> like percent. Laughably ridiculously expensive. Yes. Okay. By the way, Corey is wearing a Millennium Falcon shirt, which is that's, awesome, and yeah. it's exactly the wrong color to be in front of our logo. <laughs> So yes. he clashes like mad. It's great. It's not good. Oh, it's like man. hot pink. It is. It <laughs> imagine is. that in front of the blue and the red. <laughs> it's yeah. It, it, it's like uh, people that know me know me that I am notoriously not fashionable in any way, shape or form. I never think about it, but like it's, it's genuinely awful today. Uh, and uh, thank you to Rio for pointing that out. I seriously, I was going to go change because when he pointed it out, that's when I saw it. I, I was like, like oh don't God, you dare that's, change. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what have i done yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, all of this you can see in uh, technicolor horror on uh, uh on patreon once we load this up speaking of which uh for our patreon supporters uh, i'm going to be uh, uh loading up our first uh, video episode here uh pretty soon and then i'm going to pick a day and do one every single uh week so that we actually start making good on that promise while we're at it uh, i want to thank chad montgomery for being uh a patron um, I want to thank Donna Chang for being a patron. Uh, and actually, I think I, I think I thanked Gabriel Eggers because that name sounds familiar before, but fuck it. Thank you, Gabriel Eggers. Anyway, because you're awesome. Some, sometimes you're going to get thanked twice because Corey yep. is not organized. Well, this is the thing. We've only got... <laughs> that's, that's a sad fact. We only have 11 supporters and we were doing like two a show. So, I mean, you're going to get you're gonna get thanked more than once. That's just how this works. And I'm okay with that because you people are so amazing. We should be thanking you. Every 10 minutes. Yeah, but when we get up to 100 patrons, then we're going to celebrate by doing the Moving Forward Camping Trip, which will become an annual thing. And everybody who listens will be invited. And we are going to rent out a campground in the middle of the country somewhere each year. And Corey's going to play the guitar around the fire. And I'll bring champagne. It'll be a blast. That is, that's pretty good, actually. I think, I think that's... So if you want to make that happen, go, come be our 12th and 13th and 14th and 99th. Oh. <laughs> hey, this check this check this out. Uh Scott Phillips, I don't think we've ever mentioned before because uh oh maybe we did because it's on August 8th. So anyway, I was just looking at a couple different uh spots in there. Anyway, thank you guys. Thanks to all the oh, patrons. You have no idea who you've thanked yet. Like be honest. No, no idea. No, I'm 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 certain that I've gone through everyone. It just looked like this person that I actually pledged today, but they hadn't pledged today. It was on August 8th, so I was wrong. Um as usual, super, super super organized um okay so today we are talking about uh just we're gonna have some light fare today we're gonna talk about nuclear launch decisions uh, and uh and foreign policy first pr principles uh uh that's not foreign policy first principles that's foreign policy first principles 
Um, and uh, I love talking about everything from first principles. I think that's always a, a very useful uh, kind of thing. So I think yeah, that's, that's going to be fun. That's like Yang's MO. He always starts at first principles. You can tell. Yep. yep. That's uh, agreed. Uh, so uh, which one would you like to start with? Let's do foreign policy. Yeah, I think you're right. Then we can we can have the nuclear launch decisions in that context. Uh, okay, so while America has undoubtedly made mistakes, <laughs> sorry, yes, uh, we've been a positive force in world history, leading to the spread of peace, prosperity, and democracy. Data actually backs that up. Uh, presidents from JFK to Ronald Reagan maintained strong relationships with allies while sending clear and honest messages to those who would work against us. Yeah, okay, that's a glossy-eyed view of history. Over the past several decades, we have engaged in conflicts that have cost us trillions of dollars and thousands of American lives. These misadventures have, misadventures have destabilized parts of the world, made enemies of allies, and resulted in untold human suffering, uh, both for our brave soldiers and civilians of other countries. While an unfathomable amount of money has been spent on military engagements that have accomplished little, our infrastructure has started to collapse and our people are living paycheck to paycheck and falling prey to ills like drug abuse. We need to make sure that we are strong at home if we are going to successfully project our values abroad. It's impossible to be a leader when you have no allies. And so we need to rebuild our relationships with the rest of the world. Leveraging these relationships, we can more effectively deal with international issues. Working with our allies will make us stronger and more able to accomplish our goals over time. Uh, so the quote from the book, America is the beneficiary of the international world order we helped establish throughout the 20th century. That said, we have deluded ourselves into thinking that we are capable of doing things that we are not, sometimes at a terrible cost to ourselves and others. My first principles concerning foreign policy are restraint and judgment. We should be very judicious about projecting force and have clear goals that we know we can accomplish. We should treat our men and women in the armed services as the brave and self-sacrificing leaders that they are, both during and after their deployments. If I send young men and women into harm's way, they will know that vital national interests are at stake and there is a clear plan for them to achieve their goal in a reasonable time frame. Uh, so I'm going to read the next little bit, but I just feel like that entire thing, you can sort of lift out of the, the principles in Sun Tzu's Art of War that I feel like the American establishment has forgotten a long time ago. Uh, so uh, Our foreign policy establishment is actually pretty darn awesome but yeah okay <laughs> that is categorically foolish. well but i mean you're talking to a guy who openly like um um identifies as a, a neocon <laughs> yeah okay this is gonna be interesting <laughs> um but no i mean like yang yang thread the threaded the needle there he said yes. the things that i wanted to hear you right. know like america helped to establish the global world order that has kept yep. the peace in the west that is not something most democrats would say although actually lately now, I take it back. Basically, since Clinton, the Democrats have been neocons as well, which is awesome. I love that. So, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, no, Trump, 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 is, uh, Trump is to the left of the Democratic Party on foreign policy. <clears throat> um, yeah, that sentence doesn't make sense. Let, no, it makes perfect sense. To you, that's, that's fine. So as president. <laughs> well, okay, like, I mean, if you, if, you, if you associate the right, which I don't think is a stretch in the context of American politics, if you associate the right with being hawkish on foreign policy, yeah, it's undeniable that the Clintons were, and Hillary Clinton was running on a particularly hawkish platform. It's part of the reason Russia didn't want her to be president because they yeah. knew no, that's accurate. She wouldn't let them get away with a whole bunch of shit that Trump is fully going to let them get away with. Yep, dismantling NATO. Oh, it's, yeah, anyway, you know, tr so Trump is an isolationist like Bernie Sanders. He's definitely left of Clinton. So that's the thing. Like you're calling isolation, uh, isolationism left. Uh, okay, well, that's, I mean, I, I, yeah, let me, uh, let me to clarify. I mean, I, <clears throat> how do I put this? Um, 
in the context of, of, of American politics today, most people associate hawkishness, foreign policy hawkishness with the right. And in that context, as well as on economic issues, I think it's fair to say that the democratic establishment is center right. Um, yeah, and in I that agree. context, Trump is actually left of them, both economically and in terms of foreign policy. Okay. That's part of the reason that I say the alt-right is left-wing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and that's, that's the thing, because I think we, we sort of hover sometimes uh, uh, without always being clear. Well, I shouldn't say we, you. <laughs> like, we'll talk about you know, uh, uh, some of the, the policy positions or that this is left and that's right or whatever. And, and I think it goes sometimes from a, a hardline or exacting idea of what left and right, right are in, in economic policy. And then sometimes just floats into the tribal. Uh, 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 yeah. I mean, actually, Corey, I think I, the way that you described that was, was, was good. I think like yeah. just digging into it a little bit more, I think, and this is the thing, like if there was a way that I could just like make the words left and right are now illegal, unless you're talking <laughs> about directions, right? Cause here's the thing, like, <laughs> we got into this and I've been thinking about this a lot too with the, and we don't have to get into it, but with the, the, you know, the Muslim versus Islam thing, like all the semantics bullshit. Like if we were talking about the, the actual policies that we are mm. pro or for or whatever, those discussions just never would have happened. Yeah. I mean that the, the, okay. How do I put this? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm largely in agreement with you. And I think a whole one, like basically the whole point of our show, right. <laughs> right. is to try to talk, to each other. I mean, part of the reason that left and the right don't talk to each other anymore is because they speak in different languages. Yes, well said. You know, and and I'll, I mean, we've talked about this before, but the idea that Democrats are the left wing and Republicans are the right wing doesn't line up with the facts, right? Because especially when it comes to the electorate of both parties, they are these weird mishmash coalitions of people who don't all agree with each other, right? So there are right-wing Democrats and there are left-wing Democrats. There are right-wing Republicans and there are left-wing Republicans. Until recently, the right-wing of both parties has been in charge. Yeah. Which is good from my perspective and probably bad from yours. But I'm just, I'm just being honest about what's going on. No, no, no. That, no I, think, I, think, I think it's important for people to, to at least take the time to start thinking about that. The reason, the reason why you know, we get so pissed off at corporate Democrats, which is sort of our internal lingo for thinking about Demo Democrats who are, are you know, economically conservative, which, and of course, to me, like economically conservative means rich people are stealing all your money and you're getting nothing for it. You know, that, that's been going on for a really, really, really long time. It's been great. Yeah, for see, and that's actually another really good example about speaking different languages, because that's not at all what I mean by economically conservative. Right. No, I know, but that's just the right? end result. Yeah, no. So, I mean, this is great. So right. what I would suggest is when, when you say something that doesn't track my vocabulary in politics, yeah. I'll ask you, what do you mean by that? Right. That's, yeah. And you do the perfect. same thing with me. And I think yep. that'll be very edifying for our listeners as well as for both of us. And I think just keeping it that simple is, is awesome too. What do you mean by that is perfect. That's encoded in my brain as president. Andrew Yang will work with our allies to rebuild our structure in the world and strengthen alliances such as NATO. I can talk about this for an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> Trump got into office and literally just said, hey, you know those guys that helped me win this election, even though I'm lying about it constantly and should be arrested for how many lies they told about it? Well, they want NATO to go away because NATO is the only thing stopping them from expanding illegally into Eastern Europe. So fuck it. Let's just get rid of NATO and start telling everyone it costs us too much. Like, it's just like that. Like, if you were looking for the quid pro quo that is part of, of uh, the whole Mueller investigation, yada, yada, there are lots more you could look at. But that right there is in, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, malpractice at best. 
and like absolutely unreal that we live in a world where this is possible at work. And I think the worst is where we're at. Oh yeah, no, I mean, he tried to sell influence. No, not just influence. He tried to completely just flat out sell U.S. foreign policy for personal profit. Yep. That's what the whole Moscow thing was. Like the reason that that didn't get built, the Moscow Tower, the reason that didn't get built is because he didn't follow through on his part of the bargain with uh with uh russia right so like he wanted they wanted him to lift the sanctions and he failed at that um he has managed to do a lot of damn a lot of a lot of damage to our relationship with nato yep i mean i honestly think he doesn't even have to try just just being himself is going to guarantee that all of the people in the world who know anything about foreign policy are going to think god america is being run by a lunatic yeah i mean that's yeah it's definitely you know Trump being president is the best thing that ever happened to our enemies, uh, which even even as a bleeding heart liberal, we have. I, I think Trump is arguably the most anti-American president in history. I, I don't even know where you would start trying to argue against that. Yeah, like, I mean, there have been Benedict lots Arnold of bad presidents, president. right? But like, I think, I, <laughs> can you think of another one who is just actively trying to hurt America? <laughs> Well, it's so maybe the argument they'll say that about any president they don't like, but in Trump's right. case, it's not no, it's hyperbole. Active. Yeah, it's just what he's doing. I think the, maybe the only argument would start like this: you could make sort of a cynical cultural argument that Donald Trump is exactly the distillation of American culture. Uh, right? Well, <laughs> oh, God, and, like here's I the mean, thing: well, the shiny you know, actually, city on a hill thing know, is oh, a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I was talking, yeah, I was talking to Fred off air, um, and I think I said something similar to that, which is like Trump is like the personification of like society's death wish, right? It's like it's like there's there's a there's a a self-deprecating, self-hating side of American culture. Yeah. I, I, so I would modify that to say Trump perfectly embodies all of the darkest impulses in American culture and yes. none of the good ones. Uh, that's better. Because like I, I'll, I'll while I'll say cynical things like that, I will also say, listen, like uh, uh, SpaceX didn't pick uh, freaking China yeah. to launch, right? I so mean, like, there are a lot of really awesome, good things about American culture. Trump just there really it's like, is. It's like, it's like somebody yeah. just took all the bad ones and made a a monster out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. Oh my God! Yeah, no, well said. Uh, reinvest, reinvest in diplomacy and bolster funding to the State Department. So a lot of people don't know this. The State Department has been hollowed out. Um, they've actually cut uh, 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 the vast majority of desks, not employees, desks. We're like, hey, you're going to handle the whole Iran situation, okay? And then experts on fucking Iran will sit around thinking and talking about it over and over and over again and then be able to tell people like our idiot president what they're doing. And the problem is, is Trump really will not listen to anyone who says anything that isn't already in his like curdled cheese brain. I mean, I guess you could argue that since he's not going to listen to the experts, we might as well save some money for a little while because if we had them, they wouldn't like, uh, they, wouldn't act, like they might as well not be there anyway. <laughs> uh, I mean, yep. Okay. That's yeah. But no, I mean like, like literally his, his, his this is true. I mean, I think that if you were to ask him this question, he would acknowledge that this is true. <clears throat> Basically like, Hey, Seems to me, Trump, that your strategy is that you always assume that your gut is correct. Oh, yes, my gut is always correct. Oh, there's my terrible Trump impersonation again. Right? <laughs> and so, like, and, oh, so, so you don't really need to listen to all those experts, too. No. Right? And so, like, so we might as well just cut these people because they're just a waste of money while you're president, aren't they? Yeah. yeah that's exactly what's happening. Like, this guy is, is, 
He doesn't read briefs. I don't think he's read a book since before I was born. He definitely didn't write his book and Ghostwriter wrote his book. And, and, and there's actually a whole, you probably know this story, but there's this whole thing where like the guy who ghost wrote uh, Trump's uh, um, the, the Art of the Deal um, like came out publicly and said like, yeah, I ghost wrote that. And he's like the most horrible yeah. I ever had yeah. to interact with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's legit. So yeah, it like, well, and, and Yang talked, he's talked actually really eloquently a lot about, about just reintegrating soft power as, as the way that we can most affect the world with in, in the positive ways that we affect it. This is like, you know, it, you know, investing in, in technology and in, in social goods and things like that, 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 you know, the American people are really actually capable of doing. Uh, anyway, so uh, work with allies to project our combined strength throughout the world without engaging in activities that will cost American lives and money with no clear benefit to our long-term well-being. Uh, example, a Republican president lying about weapons of mass destruction and killing 2 million Iraqis. Not really useful. Not a good idea. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think Clinton was a better neocon than Bush, for sure. Or really, we should say better than Cheney, because let's be honest. That, yeah, no, that's well said. Yeah, can't argue. Did you see the movie? The freaking, uh, what the hell was that called? Vice? No. Oh, dude, it's it's good. It, it was done by the same guys that did uh, uh, um, the uh, the Big Short. Oh, okay. You've seen that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Oh, it was one about the uh, the financial crisis, which is kind of half documentary, half uh, half movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, I mean, so I, it's anyway. Not, yeah. Okay. Oh, get a little bit off topic here. All right. So yeah, long story. No, I, mean, I was going to say, let's take it back to Yang because he is threading the needle. But I mean, I've got to say, like. The for 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 a hawkish neoconservative like myself, yeah, I don't hate what he's saying. Right, he's just saying like, hey, when we intervene, let's have a fucking plan. Like, let's have like, what's our exit strategy? What's our actual goal? You know, how right. how, how how much in terms of American money and lives is this actually worth, and why? That just seems perfectly sane in, to me. He's yeah. what he's not saying is you know, let's just build a wall and buckle down and pay no right. attention to foreign policy and just let our enemies get bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and undermine all of our allies in such a way that we are getting weaker and weaker. I mean, Trump is another four years of what's happening right now. And I, I know we're, we're talking about Yang, not Trump, but like, he's like, this is the contrast, right? We want Yang yeah. to be the nominee. And if he is, it's going to be in terms of foreign policy and everything else is the choices between those two men. Right. Yep. And the honest to God truth is everything that Trump is doing on foreign policy is making America less safe and putting us in, in, in serious danger. Nailed it. Uh, I personally, well, and this is, this is the thing. I think anyone who's read Sun Tzu's art of war, um, realizes that American foreign policy has forgotten it, even though most of the uh, people that are supposed to be running things should know this. You always, if you don't know what your preconditions are in a battle, you're going to lose. You've already lost before you get into it. You have to know what victory means. Otherwise you will always lose. And that's what we've been doing for 20 years, right? Yeah, that, like, you know, actually, Battle I, to battle, we're going to win because we've got the largest military in the world by 10, right? In, in defense of our foreign policy establishment, I think the people actually running foreign policy by and large know all of that stuff. The problem is it gets politicized and presidents like, like Trump, but other, other presidents, including Obama, yep. make decisions based on politics rather than what's good for foreign policy sometimes. And so there's really like this constant battle between right. like the elected executive and the bureaucrats. And frankly, the expert bureaucrats are usually right. And they, a lot of the time they, they aren't listened to. Uh, that's that's definitely I mean, there are like there are some really brilliant intellectual generals out there who could 
actually run foreign policy better. We have to elect a president who will listen to them. And I think one thing we can all agree about Yang is that he is smart enough to know that he doesn't know everything. I think he's aware that foreign policy is actually probably one of his weak points. So what he's going to do is he's going to put the best advisors in for real, not like Trump said, I'm going to get the best people. No, you're not. You got like B, C, D grade people, Trump. Anyway, because nobody wants to work for him because it's a nightmare. Um, Yeah. So Yang's going to get A-list advisors and he's going to actually listen to the bureaucrats and he's not going to be a pacifist, right? But he's also not going to stupidly put waste money in American lives for no reason either. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I'd love to get your opinion on this. So he wants to sign a repeal to the uh, AOMF. Um, which is the the uh, authorizing use of uh, use of force uh, uh, decree from back in the day? Yeah, uh, no, I completely support that. That that's, awesome. should, that's something Congress should be doing. Not the well, and that's exactly what he says: returning the authority to declare war to Congress and refuse to engage in anything other than emergency military activity without the express consent of Congress. Yeah, I mean that that's rules. an extra check to make sure we don't go to war for no reason. That's right. a good thing. <laughs> it was it was always supposed to be well, that. And way. also, frankly, that's a conservative thing to say. Like, hey, maybe we should do this the way the founders set up the Constitution. Yeah, I mean, right, hell, that, like, Congress was supposed to be the, the that's supposed to be the branch that actually authorizes war. That, well, like that. They didn't want it to be one man's whim. <laughs> that's not <laughs> yeah. the way the founders wanted it. Wait till we get to nuclear launch stuff. Oh, my oh, God. Uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't even have a standing. We uh, you didn't have a standing army uh, uh, um, when the Constitution was was done. Either. And honestly, like I could see the reason, especially World War Two, World War One, like the the. You know, you can you can understand the necessity in sort of the the first industrial age wars, where having a, a standard uh, a train standing train army was was make or break for for a lot of countries. Uh, okay, yeah. so regular- no, I think I think Rich, uh, who we had on to talk about foreign policy a while back, he he made a really strong argument as somebody who has experience in the military that that you could actually cut. The, the number of personnel involved in the military in half. Um, mm-hmm. I have to say that is something that I always strongly opposed um, <laughs> as, as a hawkish neocon. But um, Rich made the argument, what he did is he said, actually, America would be safer if we did this because it would free up resources to, to um, defend ourselves against things that are the real threat in, in the 21st century. And that's, I mean, he, he completely convinced me. Like, yes, let's just do that. I, I'm, I'm on board. You know, people that can onboard new data and change their opinions uh, are my taco. Uh, Regularly audit the uh, Defense Department. Um, yeah, the whole idea that, like, I think the Defense Department can lose a trillion dollars and then people are just like, I don't know, we left. That is insane. Yeah, or, or, or just spend it differently, too. You yeah. know, I mean, that's also an option. Like, let's spend it on, on protecting our democracy from Russian hackers. Let's spend it on making sure that, like, they don't hack our grid or China doesn't hack our grid. I mean, right. that's how they would declare war, right? They're not actually going to attack us, like you said. Standing armies are basically for, um, they're for exerting our power abroad and, and really only in, like, developing countries that don't have nukes right? yeah it's got to be asymmetrical <laughs> that's really what it is right like, yeah. yeah the the and and there i i'm not somebody who opposes that i think there are, there are cases where that's appropriate but um the uh do, you could definitely make an argument that we don't need as large a standing army as we have in order to do that and that the, the real threats the biggest threats in terms of like outside threats on our country are are things that we should be focusing on instead and and that's really more a matter of like technology that's that's spending money in research and development and technology i uh, i agree um and and soft power i think i mean that's the thing you just have to look look no farther than the uh, the belt and road initiative from china to see how how this money should be spent uh that would have infinitely more return on investment 
than, than what we've been doing. So uh, focus our federal budget on fixing problems at home instead of spending trillions of dollars abroad. Well, all right. That's, you know, exactly. <laughs> That's what, uh, yep. Yeah. I mean that again, like to, to the sort of threading the needle uh, uh, kind of theme that has been going on uh, in our recording session today you know, I think he kind of, he kind of nails it, right? Like that's, that's really the, the, anyone, anyone from my perspective, sort of in the, in the tribally identified left or Democrats or whatever, um, they're going to be pretty excited about this. I mean, that's the biggest thing is it's got to go back to Congress. You know, We've got to stop doing stupid. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that because again, like, I mean, I think you and I are not polar opposites because we're, neither of us are extremists, but actually that foreign policy might be an area where we're further apart than we are on uh, in other uh, in other things right and we're both happy with it so that really says yeah. something yeah um, I, I also kind of see it remember in the first debate when they asked yang about climate change and he said we're not going to be able to get the american people behind the kinds of sacrifices that we're going to need to make and um, while they're struggling and living paycheck to paycheck yeah. that's kind of how i see this like I, I i i don't necessarily hold it against the average american I can understand how people might be might be resentful of the fact that we spend so much money um, on foreign policy and the military specifically, right. while while you know they they are struggling, right? So I, I actually kind of see this this is like we we need to get our ducks in a row at home. We need to like it's not I I don't actually necessarily think that it's an either or thing, but that's the way that the public perceives it. And so what we really need to do is get people out of a mindset of scarcity. And I think we'll notice people will be much more open to the idea of U.S. global leadership and really investing in, and you know what my, you know what my actual dream foreign policy is, because we've talked about it in a couple of episodes and it sounded like you actually supported it. But yeah, I mean, like generally what you want is you want a bunch of allies um, who are exerting soft power first in order to try to get more countries to democratize, more countries to play by the rules of capitalism, et cetera. And there's a lot you can do with soft power that doesn't involve having to go to war anywhere. Yep. And then you reserve hard power for situations where you literally have a criminal regime that is, you know, committing crimes against their people or whatever. Somebody needs to police the world. And if it's going to be, you know, I'd rather it be us than China. So I, I think that most Americans could get on board with that vision. But the problem is they're, they're thinking, you know, well, all right, but I'm trying to feed my kids. I'm trying to pay my rent, trying to pay my mortgage. While they're in that mindset, they're, they're just not, it's unreasonable to expect them to care, frankly, that much about the rest of the world. Yeah. So, um, you know, I believe that the, the U.S. should be leading, like, they, we should be on top. I want the U.S. on top. I want us and our allies that we carefully select to be like leading the way in foreign policy. That is, yeah. that's the world that I want to live in. But one way we're going to get there is by making sure that our, our citizens are behind it and they're not going to get behind it while they're all struggling. So Yang's completely right about that. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a solid, a solid argument as far as, uh, you know, needing to, to make sure that, uh, you know, people are actually helped enough to have a, a, um, a good basis for, for know, sort of thinking outside themselves. Um, because well, yeah, and also, frankly, I credit Yang for that because I had not really connected those two dots until 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 I heard him make that argument. And yeah, and even the one on climate right. change, like nobody was nobody on the. I didn't hear any Democrats talking about the fact that we need to make sure that we're helping our people before we, you know, deal with climate change because of the psychological effects of that, and that's why it's so difficult. But I hear a lot of them doing it now. And that's the thing. Like, if the only thing Yang accomplishes is driving a lot of these key ideas into uh, uh, into the conversation. I mean, it's already such an amazing success. He's, he's really, really changed. Thing. He's changed the conversation already in a lot of really, really fundamental ways. That said, 
uh, he is standing ground like crazy. So uh, we're, we're definitely still. Uh, yeah, isn't, um, he's like ahead of Beto in, in Iowa now, right? Like yep. that's a big deal. Oh, it's like, huge. Beto used to be like 15%, right? All yeah. we need is a couple more people to tank like Beto did and Yang's going to be good. And he's going to be, he's going to be the nominee. <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, the more, the more time, he gets the better the better he's doing so that's that's something we're gonna the only i guess the only thing that i would probably add to that is the, the whole policing the world thing as a as a an abstract concept um you know it, if we agree that somebody has to police the world then you know it'd be great if we did it um i have to fundamentally disagree with that because an argument could be made that we've never done it well um like yeah, no, not I mean, not even not even one time i don't i don't know if we necessarily want to have a big argument about this right now but i yeah, know it is like that's like but like i you know i'm i kind of use the word police the world because i i kind of intentionally knew that would push the buttons of some people on the left um like a more wiser rhetorical way of putting it would be that like look we don't. We wouldn't let people get away with committing mass genocide within our borders, right? Um, and there's, you know, it, once we get people past the, the mindset of scarcity, it's the the moral argument for intervening in situations like that is fairly easy one to make. Um, now, the, your it, yeah. point, your point, Corey, is that we don't have a perfect track record ourselves. That's true, but the uh, the other fact is nobody does, right? And yep. So I actually think that I here, here, here's how I thread the needle on that and compromise with you. And actually it's not even compromise because this is my opinion. I think the United States needs to um, improve its own record around human rights. Um, we need to better embody democratic values at home. Um, we need to better embody ethical values abroad. And once we're doing that, then, then we can, then, then we can, you know, then we deserve not by the way, not about, not by ourselves, but a collection of you know right. um, liberal democracies coming together to police the world. I'm not saying we should do it individually. I just think the U.S. might as well lead the way on that. But you're right; we absolutely need to get our ducks in a row at home first, because nobody likes a hypocrite. <clears throat> well, and I, the way that you said that, I think getting getting our ethical framework around you know what, you know, and the, the the argument is right. We went into Iraq; that was bullshit. Uh, Rwanda was actually going through a crisis, and we did nothing. Um, and that that's normal, right? Like, unless there is some uh, corporate money uh, uh, where the, the military industrial uh, uh, complex and the energy uh, complex can benefit, we don't go in. So, right. So our, our ethical standards for whether or not we're actually going to go to war are, are broken. So what you said about, you know, hey, if we could get our, our, our ethical framework for creating a data driven value based thing like hey we're always going to do this in this situation with our allies in tow or in a combined effort then we deserve that's the key phrase i really want to get in then we deserve to be the power that 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 is preeminent on the planet i i actually really agree with that like it like those if then statements i think is a really really good way to uh, to think yeah. about yeah, that's great. Okay, productive disagreement and really actually came to consensus. That's awesome. Yeah, okay. no, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is, of course, you know, we are a democracy and some administrations are going to better embody the values we should be embodying than others. Um, and so we have to be careful we don't fall into the habit of saying like, well, this one administration did this or these three administrations did that and therefore we now can't trust the Yang administration to do that, right? We just, we, they are different people. And I think that I think that people tend a lot of people like the mental shortcut of of kind of like thinking about the U.S. government and foreign policy as if it were all being done by a single cabal of probably Jewish globalist conspiracies <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah, it's not true. The reality is right. it's messy. 
And there have been people in charge who had all the right intentions and there have been people who have had really shitty intentions, right? And so like the solution to that is just to elect the ones with the good intentions. But well, and even we more. The, we can't hold the bad actors. We can't hold the good, the good actors or potential good actors responsible for bad actors. Right. And, and, and to that point, you know, I think we would all trust Andrew Yen to go in and, and think about this in terms of first principles, the way that we've been talking about it. Okay, what's the data-driven way to come to these decisions where you can systemize this and leave, you know, leave the best possible situation for the least potential candidate that might come after me so that they are constrained to a narrower range of options that are more ethically and, and uh, balanced or, or just like have more integrity and, and be again, like you know, be, be constrained to the kinds of actions that we could actually be proud of instead of uh, uh, you know, the, the shit that's been going on for the last what, 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically we need to strengthen NATO. We need to replace the UN with a new organization that doesn't have a bunch of countries in it that shouldn't be in it. Hello, uh, Saudi Arabia. Right. So like we need to, we, 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 the UN has gotten to the point where it's a joke. So like, we just need, <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, like, therefore let's not do anything like Trump's at Trump is the sort of guy who says, well, the UN is a joke. Therefore we should just not cooperate with them. That's not the solution. The, the solution is we need to create, something new that replaces the UN that only has um, liberal democracies as members. We need to um, update that, the- Are you uh, sure that's a good idea? I, well, I mean, I would be open to simply improving the UN, but that's actually a bigger ask, I think, because it is. it's a matter of kicking out a bunch of countries that are already in it. So yeah, I would, I would prefer we create a new coalition of liberal democracies that uh, stand up for human rights collectively and that they do it through soft power first and hard power only in situations where you have criminal regimes committing crimes against humanity. Right. And if they do it collectively with the combined moral authority of all the liberal democracies of the world, I think that would make sense. And I guess I should define liberal democracy, but a liberal democracy is basically, it's, you know, obviously the United States, I think Fred recently off air was like, Rio, we're a republic, not a democracy. Okay, that's true. Like a republic is a kind of democracy. Um, there are lots of different kinds of democracies in the world, but what a liberal democracy is, is one that also recognizes human rights, right? So the fact that the United States has a bill of rights makes us a liberal democracy. If, they, if, you, if you had a democracy without a bill of rights where the majority could just say like, we don't like Jews, let's kill them all. Um, and there would be no constitutional impediment to that. That would be an illiberal democracy. So we get all the liberal democracies of the world together, collectively have the moral authority to do that. Uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, the, like I think the only thing I would add to that is excising uh, countries. We should be super judicious about that because having a one side type UN uh, was tried between World War One and World War Two, and it directly led to World War Two. Uh, talking to your enemies is hard, and that's the whole point. Well, yeah, um, no, I mean that that's what soft power and diplomacy are for. But like, they don't enough. get a vote. Like. If the whole point, think about it, if the whole point of the institution, I mean, maybe this new institution would exist in addition to the UN. That would be fine too, right? But like the UN has turned into a situation where really all, you, all it is is a, a place for diplomacy. It's a place for talking to people. But right. it's, it doesn't actually have any moral authority because how could, how could <laughs> they put the Saudi Arabia yeah, chart? No, I, right I'm, like, yeah, don't get me wrong. That, yeah, yeah that, that, that's, those countries... Here's the thing. You say like, great, if you want to be part of this organization, all you have to do is democratize and play by the rules of global capitalism and then you're welcome. 
Right. Well, and if you want to come talk to us, you can always talk to us. But I think I think you're onto something with the 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 voting capacity, right? And like putting Saudi Arabia in far in charge of like environmental concerns, like fuck off, <laughs> like just and, and, just, and human just rights, stop. right? Like, exactly, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. You have a human right to get your head cut off in a gymnasium or freaking uh, anyway. So uh, okay, we gotta we gotta run through this here. So uh, policy on nuclear launch decisions, I highly highly recommend uh, uh, checking out the Radio Lab uh, podcast on uh, uh, dissecting and researching what the the current state of that is. If you want to basically not sleep for a month. Uh, which is a ringing endorsement, I'm sure. So the decision to launch a nuclear attack is too serious for a single person to make. The vice president should need to verify any such decision made by the president. Uh, and that's literally the, the, the whole thing. And I think that's actually not anywhere near enough, but fine, it's better than what we have right now. A decision to launch nuclear weapons is too important to rest in any individual's hands is from the book. We should ensure that any such decision is verified by the vice president or if he, she is unavailable, the White House chief of staff. Uh, problems to be solved. Uh, stopping Trump from randomly nuking Calgary, which is my favorite. I- Wait, <laughs> example. Is, is it literally say that? No, of course not. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. The nuking Calgary thing. I don't even know why I like why Trump hates Calgary in my brain. It just is a sentence I said once. It would definitely be some random country that is just like I, I had a like, nightmare last night, and I, yeah. I don't like these people now. Exactly. Yeah, it'd be some shithole country. Um, as uh, President Andrew Yang will bring the VP and Chief of Staff into the chain of command for nuclear decisions for myself and all future presidents, which is uh, which is which is good. Um, yeah, I mean it. It it is the case right now that a senile, unbelievably narcissistic, psychopathic, sociopathic, completely devoid of any human empathy. A person who can, you know, is is by those definitions only concerned with himself and doesn't have any idea how not to give thumbs up uh, to a baby whose parents just got shot, uh, has the capacity to nuke <laughs> anything he wants right now. He could tell the guy with the nuclear football, "Hey, jackass, uh, freaking new Calgary," and mm-hmm. that person legally would have to do it. And hopefully, that person would put pull his sidearm out and shoot Trump in the head. And I mean that literally. But right now, that's not the case. Right, like right now, nuclear weapons. Which, like, I've seen people make the dumbest arguments about nuclear weapons, but they're not that powerful. They're not that big a deal. You should just stop having opinions about things. They will end the world. Right? You launch one, suddenly India and Pakistan are launching their four hundred uh, nukes at each other, and the world's over. Right? Like civilization's done. It's well, we're done now. More or less. I mean. <laughs> oh boy yeah no so i mean like yang's foreign policy just the the fact that he wants to give the authorization of use of force back to, back to congress and that he wants to have uh um the a second opinion it's so, it's so silly that 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 that, that even the the idea that he wants to have a second opinion about you know possibly ending the world um yeah those are good things like threading the needle it's very it's very moderate but also frankly it's like i said and this is true about the the nuclear thing too the the founding fathers of the united states did not want any one man to have that much power like nor like, could they have conceived of a nuclear weapon Sorry. A republic with a yeah. senate and all of this shit was so that the power was decentralized right if the if like thomas jefferson knew <laughs> that one man had the ability to end life on earth as we know it <laughs> you would say, okay, America's gone off the rails. It's a failed experiment. Yeah. It, we, we need to undo that. Now, of course, there is the complication in the case of nukes that time is of the essence, right? So you definitely want to make sure that the two people, you know, the president and the vice president or whomever, you want to make sure that those people are 
you know, available to be woken up at 24 seven. Right. Right. Yeah. Which, which by the way, actually almost concerns me more than the possibility that Trump might uh, randomly nuke somebody. I'm worried that his fat, lazy ass is just going to be um, unavailable when <laughs> we have nukes coming at us from Russia and he's like, Oh, that couldn't possibly be true. That's my yeah. buddy. Or here's the thing. Like if we have nukes coming at us from anywhere, and this is this is a tough thing. He, he made fun of he made fun of Obama for for golfing a lot, and like Trump, like golfed more times in the first term or first year than Obama did in all eight years or something like that. Yeah. He is, he's. I, I I mean, I'm assuming that they could get a hold of him if they really needed to, but I just don't believe that that guy is always going to be available and in a, in a, an intelligent enough mindset to be able to handle something like that because it could happen at three a.m. Let's think about that. How, how is somebody with Donald Trump's personality going to handle being woken up at 3 a.m. and asked whether or not to nuke somebody? Do, you really, do we really think that he has yeah. the bandwidth to do that or that he's invested enough in the, in the American presidency as a serious job to, to really have thought that through? I don't. Well, and the, and the sundowning thing, like I've talked to so many people that, that have lived with a family member with dementia who clearly see that you know, the second that you get into the, the later hours of the day, he starts to exhibit signs of dementia, like a real dementia. So like, you wake him up in the middle of the night, he's like, oh, my name, Fred? He doesn't have any idea, right? So like it, it yeah, no, I, this is the thing. Like the idea that one person is in charge of that, it, it just, you know, this is, again, right. way more should be done in a perfect world, but this is a, an order of magnitude safer than, than having one person those, those be two things in charge would be of it. Huge, and they would actually make, the, again, like conservative argument. It's about, that was the intention of the founders. The way that it's set up now and the way that Donald Trump wants to keep it is anti-American, it's, go, it's unconstitutional and we, we need to fix it. Now, I guess you could say like, because Congress, gave, like Congress basically just kind of said, we give the president the ability to declare war randomly for no reason forever, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's the reason that it's been declared constitutional, but I would argue that maybe um, that bill from Congress should have been overturned by the Supreme Court because it's like, no, actually the constitution says that's your responsibility. You're not allowed to just hand it off to them. Yeah, it, it really, it really should have been. Um, yeah. if, the, if the Supreme Court, you know, I, I have a, a legal scholar friend who really loves to say that the Supreme Court is not a political uh, entity and I just, it, it's just not true. Well, like it, it's not supposed to be, but it is. That exactly, like as designed, it's supposed to be above all of that, and it just, it just not, it's not how it works. Well, and, and now Yang, Yang has all kinds of policies about how to fix that as well, which I guess we'll get to at some point. Um, what's your? Okay, and, and and we don't need to talk about this. If you want to just tell me to shut the fuck up, we could totally do that. The idea. <laughs> oh boy, now I'm worried. Yeah, no, like the 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 predisposition to mutually assured destruction actually has, and this is hard to say, benefited the world. Um, because it stopped superpowers from going into all-out war and wrecking everything with troops. Right? Actually, that, yeah, no, I mean, I largely no, agree with that. No yeah. two countries, no two countries with nuclear weapons have ever gone to war. That's a fact, right? So, so while we're in this, you know, precipitously insane position, you know, it, that is just the, the that is the case. I would like to posit just a straight up ethical. We're going to go into fucking Sam Harris woo woo la la land of of thought experiments. Um, is it actually ethically defensible to launch even a single nuclear weapon if a thousand nuclear weapons are launched at the United States? And my answer is very easily no. 
Oh, because no, I disagree there, with that. here's the thing. There is actually no positive benefit to the universe in any way, shape, or form if you fuck the planet harder when everyone in your country is going to die anyway. Killing another million people has served no one and could kill tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of innocent people. Wow. There, it's literally, ethically, ethically <clears throat> indefensible. Well, what's the right. positive outcome? What what are That's, you building by like how do how do you defend that as a thing that the, you do? well, okay. I'm going to not answer that question. Fair, because, fair well no, but the, the reason why I'm not going to answer it is because I would say that I think it's unethical for you to make that ethical argument. <laughs> what? The, re- the reason for that is because it's um in order for the mutually assured destruction to provide the security that it does provide, right. we need everybody to believe that we would fire nukes back. That okay, you know what? I, I, that that's that's entirely not rational. For that reason, I'm no, not eh. like I, I think it was Daniel Dennett said something like, "Oh, by the way, wasn't it Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang? Oh yeah, I, know, I think it was our own Chet, right? Uh, Chet is a, a longtime listener. He's definitely going to come on the show at some point. Chet um, tweeted at Yang that they should have a a philosopher in the white house and then yang tweeted yeah we should t- and actually like you know chet told him in person at the fundraiser or something yeah, yeah that 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 they should have a philosopher in the white house and then yang tweeted about it like yes it's a good idea we should definitely do that so i nominate daniel dennett because he's an american philosopher great guy um yeah and uh one 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 thing that dennett is known for saying is that there are certain there are certain ideas that we should not that like if a philosopher has a moral responsibility to not publish everything they think of that you might think something through and you might decide yeah. like that, for example, it's unethical to fire nukes back and then ask yourself the question of, okay, now that I've come to that conclusion, is it ethical for me to make that public? And so Dennett, so basically Dennett says, no, like, that, that's a great, that, yep. always have to follow up with that second question because there are certain things that the public just probably is better off not knowing thinking about yeah, yeah man i i think i think sam harris should read that guy because you're absolutely right that, that and honestly that oh, was he a, has their friends <laughs> okay he should pay more attention um no that 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 was a that was a great response i have nothing to add to that because you're absolutely right like that it the fact that the fact that mathematically i am correct saying that and putting that out into the body politic uh would actually mess up the entire initial premise that i was making that mutually assured discretion destruction has actually Helps. And you're right. Like that's if part we, of the reason. Yeah, that's part of that, the reason Trump's constant that makes sense. is about foreign policy and like what he's going to do and what he's not going to do is terrible. I'm sure that all of his advisors are <laughs> right. like, please stop we, doing that. Like, yes, you have you like you're, you're pulling back the curtain. You, like, don't tell the whole world what the president is thinking at every moment of every day, because right. like, that makes the country less safe. You have to keep you like you, it's like showing all your cards in a game of poker. Just don't do that. <laughs> right. Over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh, all right. Hashtag done. winning. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. I think that's uh, that's we just we just. I, I, I think that. we actually need to wrap this one up if we're going to do one more today. So I'm. Like, we uh, yeah. do. All right. So uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're basically I mean, I, I, basically once again, Andrew Yang is he's just by far the best. Like yeah. I think the only policy I slightly disagreed with of his so far was the gun one, and that was like mostly a matter of rhetorical advice. Um, about like just not talking about banning weapons and focusing on uh, focusing on the licensing issue. Um, you know, that's just because I think it's more like he's more likely to get elected. It's more likely to pass yeah. Congress and it's more likely to survive the Supreme Court. So just do that. But otherwise, I mean, I, I think it's 
I could honestly say that there hasn't been a single other policy that I even slightly disagreed with so far, which is yeah, me neither. Amazing, considering how many he has, Yang is just he's by far the best guy. Let's just yeah, that I mean that's just true. Like it, it, it you know, while while I I definitely don't hate a lot of the other Democrats that are running. Um, doesn't matter. Andrew Yang's policies are literally in order of magnitude, at least ten times better than anybody else running. Um, yeah, I, and I, his personal just... demeanor, I think. There are actually a few other candidates who I think have impressive demeanors. Um, I might get in trouble with some of my friends on the right by saying this, but like, I actually think Buttigieg has a fairly impressive personality. I think that he comes off as fairly conservative and, and with a small C and you know, like reasonable and articulate and educated. You know, he, 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 um, in terms of rhetoric, I think he threads the needle well, like Yang does. Um, you know, he talks about why 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 do only republicans talk about patriotism or freedom like those are words right. that democrats should talk about too and i think he's right about that um yeah, smart so, so though that of course the thing about buddha judge is he doesn't have any freaking policies <laughs> you know so yeah. but yang has the he has the best policies and he also has that really impressive personal demeanor yeah i uh i i agree yeah i buddha just doesn't make me mad at all um except yeah you're right he's got he's got exactly zero policy i, I all do, i do like but he's like he's, he's doing the obama thing right like obama like, had the same thing yeah it's time for somebody who's not a baby boomer <laughs> to be president hell yeah but yang has that going for him as well um Indeed. although buddha judge might be almost too young i mean he's he's like he's like he's younger the, than Corey. <laughs> uh a fuck you b you're, you're right no he he really is he's he's very uh the president very should have maybe a little bit more experience um but you know he wouldn't be a terrible vp choice maybe. have you heard his answer to that though what what was it he's got he's got more executive experience and 10 times more military experience than anybody running you know that's actually true and i i have to say like yang's weaknesses are um you know foreign policy um in which we just talked about you know like so i mean actually i should his, his platform for foreign policy is great right um but he, he just has like you know two or whatever policies on foreign policy so like it just shows that he's focused on on uh domestic policy so i you know maybe tulsi gabbard or or buddha judge anybody with like foreign policy military experience would be a good vp for him yeah i think that that's that's uh that's not crazy all right well hey uh andrew yang is our mother truck and taco Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you, and we're so excited about the uh, the awesome community, the Yang Gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of Andrew Yang. Uh, if you could please tag us on Twitter with the hashtag Moving Forward Pod and uh, find and join the Moving Forward podcast uh, group on Facebook. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.